This podcast is brought to you by Modest Coffee, single origin coffee without the snobbery. Go to www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what coffees they're roasting today. Cheers! Welcome to No Bad Reviews, colon, a coffee podcast. This is a podcast where three friends, coffee industry professionals, and co-workers get together once a week and try any coffee and commit to giving it no bad reviews. And, uh, you know, we're going to learn a little something or two about something else along the way. I feel like we're always learning. Always learning. I mean, look, once a week we have an opportunity for... Mental growth. Improve our brain spaces with knowledge. Fueled by caffeine. Yay! (laughs) Which I feel like I could use 17 times more of, but I don't know. I would probably die today. Anyways, I'm Jenny, and I run the operations at a mysterious coffee company. I also work at this coffee company of mystery, and I roast it, and I buy it, and I drink it, and I just be winning awards, too. And you sell it. And I sell it. I'm out there pushing it. Call me Pusha. Did you say your name? My name's Marcus. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Not Pusha. (laughs) I'm Stephanie. I'm an honorary colonel, frequent employee of the month (laughs) at the Mystery Coffee Company. (laughs) And Jenny just bought me a band sealer. I'm about to be the queen of that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you noticed in our last episode that um, I kept awkwardly bringing up a band sealer because I was hinting at Marcus because it's been a a point of discussion. You got to pick the right band sealer. I think think as long as you manage to do that. Yeah, so I don't know what happened, but finally, Marcus, I convinced him to just look at the listings. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how it went down. And there were a number of them that were perfectly good, and we chose the best one. Um, okay, do you guys want to talk about Elvis? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, so excited. I guess that is announcing our episode. We are going to be doing Elvis coffee. We had this perfectly timed originally mm-hmm. to inadvertently coincide with the release of the Elvis movie because somehow we are really good at inadvertently coinciding yeah. with every we episode. Just our finger on the pulse. Yeah, yeah, somehow. And like the cosmic pulse of, I don't know, the world. But, you know... Large order got us screwed up with everything, so uh. this one is also late. <sighs> so I love Elvis and learning about Elvis. You know, Elvis, I heard, was a generous guy, and he was always supporting the things that he loved. Jenny, if people and our listeners want to be like Elvis, <laughs> <laughs> what would they do? Um, well, first, they would leave us a review on a podcasting app and give us some stars. They'd tell a friend. Elvis would tell all of his friends. Like, <laughs> I mean, he probably knew a president. He would ha- definitely have signed up for our Patreon himself because he loves Love It or Leave It episodes. Like today's Love It or Leave It episode, we're going to be trying Elvis's favorite sandwich, and it is a peanut butter and banana fried sandwich. Mm-hmm. You're not hesitant about the Elvis sandwich, are you? Um, I just, I'm kind of weirded out by the 
peanut butter banana fried sandwich. Something about bananas and peanut butter. Bananas aren't jelly. <laughs> and they're not chocolate. The peanut butter cup. And they're not an apple. Okay. So These are all things you like with peanut butter. Yeah. I get it. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Maybe I'll love it. But it's Elvis's favorite sandwich, which is uh, also the coffee we're going to be trying today, which is a banana peanut butter flavored sandwich, I think, coffee. It's. I think it's called Breakfast with Elvis. Okay. It's from Chris's Coffee Company out of Albany, New York. Okay. And... um. I think you'll like the sandwich more than the coffee. That's my prediction. Possibly. <laughs> well, so we'll be yeah. trying the sandwich on Love It or Leave It. That's on Patreon. That's any level of Patreon you sign up for, uh, you're going to get that. And then the highest level of Patreon, you're going to be getting Marcus' gift for his birthday mm-hmm. at the end of this soon. month. Uh-huh. Hell yeah. Yeah, so you could even sign up right now. We won't even make you pay like months in advance. We're just going to send you a gift. Aww. So that's patreon.com slash nobadreviewspod. You can also go to buymeacoffee.com slash nobadreviewspod if you just want to help support the coffees that we're buying and you don't want a long-term commitment. And I then- really like how you're, you know, you're doing a soft sell. You know, you're not like hard selling it. You're not like, hey, you know what? Go, do it. You're like, you know what? If you got time, support us. Yeah, sure. This is my, this is my angle. Yeah. Like, I'm not here to beg. Just lightly beg. Right. It's like rock, but light rock. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly it. And also we have some new summer merch up on our website. So go ahead and check that out if you want to be looking cool and feeling cool. No bad reviews. Summer edition. Yeah. It's really hot. So I don't have any clarifications or any other business. I don't know what you guys got going on. You know what? I I said earlier that I didn't have any clarifications, but... Actually, I did run into Derek yesterday and we were talking about his Royal Cup episode and I said that I had made a clarification last week uh-huh. because of what Indigo said. Oh, um, does Derek dispute? Derek disputes. <laughs> it's like a big, uh, it's a little bit of a feud now. Every week we're just going to have a different clarification Derek, update, yeah, Derek update on the meet cute story between Derek and Amy. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like a different member of the family coming to you and being like, excuse me, what they said was wrong. We're going to have to get Derek and Amy on. Oh, boy. I think we're going to have to get the dog on. Yeah. <laughs> the, only, the only witness. The only witness to the whole thing. You know, Indigo uh, claims that she got her information from Derek's sister. And Derek's sister, Derek seemed to indicate that maybe his sister was kind of out to get him. So Mm. maybe that's... Well, family feud. This is like like an amazing game of telephone. I'm liking it. (laughs) No bad reviews. A family feud edition. I guess the clarification is I still haven't gotten to the bottom of it. But if I ever do, I'll let everybody know. Good. Cool. Um, Oh, wait. I do have one uh, clarification really quick. Um, I just want to say in the Juneteenth episode, I talked about um, the historian and Harvard professor, Annette Gordon, but it's actually Annette Gordon-Reed. It's a Mm. hyphenated last name. So I just want to correct that name. That's it. Go look her up. Find her book. Cool. And listen to her podcast or like all the interviews she does. She's like a really great lady. Really appreciate your journalistic integrity, Jenny. Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) 100% here. Make shit up. (laughs) it's true luckily you don't do a ton of researching so we don't have a bunch of clarifying all the time (laughs) um i actually just live clarify marcus when he is 
follow me with a broom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, butter has been clarified and bacon's been made. So I'm ready for breakfast. Yeah, ready for breakfast. Yeah, butter and bacon fit I'm re- right in. Mm. I'm ready for breakfast with Elvis. Mm. And cocaine or heroin? Was that his downfall? No, um, prescription. Oh, Stop cool. ruining it. Stop right. ruining it. I'm just I wa- I'm trying t- to get breakfast. We're going to go to before Elvis so that we can understand how Elvis was even possible. I would just like to state for the record that I know nothing about Elvis. And I'm sorry to all the Elvis uh, uh, fans because I think Elvis has a lot of diehards out there. Oh, yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry that I've already offended you. You know, in addition to having a lot of diehards, there are a lot of people who, like, really fucking hate Elvis. Oh. I thought everybody loved Elvis. Um, people uh, didn't appreciate the cultural appropriation quite so much. Oh. Yeah. He was culturally appropriating, too? Oh, yeah. You know, if everything you know about Elvis comes from, like, American pop culture... Everything I know about Elvis comes from Elvis imposters that marry people in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's literally all I know about Elvis. And that one movie where a bunch of skydiving Elvises, like, attacked Vegas. <laughs> Was that, like, Ocean's 12 or something? I think so. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I'm it's sure good. It's There's I a don't bank think heist. I... I think Johnny Depp's in it. Johnny Depp's in it? Yeah. You know what? We're not going to get into Johnny Depp on this episode. Involved. Acid? Yep. Never mind. I think I might have been immersed in Elvis in my very early childhood in a way that I absorbed him, like, before I was conscious of him, because our lives overlapped. You guys are too young to remember when Elvis was, like, on TV all the time and shit. He was huge. Wait, your parents were into Elvis? No. <laughs> no, but you couldn't avoid Elvis. You okay. couldn't escape Elvis in the nineteen, the early 70s. There was just like no getting away from him. He was like the superstar. Yeah. So he's the king of rock and roll, not because he like invented rock and roll, but because he was just the first big rock star. It's like we can't get away from Kanye. Right. <laughs> like whether you listen to him or not, whether you know anything about him, you know everything about Kanye West. Right. You cannot escape him. Yeah. Let's talk about where rock and roll came from for just a minute, because Elvis didn't just like appear as the first rock star and like make everything happen. Like this was all happening. I know where it started. George McFly when he went back in time in the DeLorean <laughs> and started rock and roll. Oh, yeah, I think I saw a documentary about that. <laughs> um, so rock and roll was born from black musicians in the U.S. in the South. And rock and roll historians refused to give credit to any one person. Like, it was sort of bubbling up all over the place. There was a lot of cooks in that kitchen. But if you press a rock and roll historian, they all seem to agree that Chuck Berry... Chuck Berry's the fucking guy. He's pretty awesome. I was listening to some Chuck Berry yesterday, and you know what? He's still pretty awesome. Oh, he's saying Johnny Be Good? Yeah. Oh, I was right. I was right about Back to the Future. Wait... Was Chuck Berry in Back to the Future? No, but that's the song, I think. Isn't that the song that uh, George McFly sang when he went back in time? I thought it was Run, Run, Rudolph. (sighs) Also, (laughs) Chuck Berry. Good job. I just want to talk about what was going on musically in the world before Elvis, like, slid right into the zeitgeist. In the South, black musicians were still playing a lot of blues, a lot of gospel, Duke Ellington, like the example of swing. Bebop, like Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. The jazz in the 40s, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday, Louis Armstrong. 
it's kind of like where we are. That's kind of like where the black South is musically at this point. It's like a big party. White people at this point are still like really loving big band music. That's where we are with this. And then the crooners, Frank Sinatra is huge in the 40s. People are still like listening to ragtime and jazz a bit. And then also the singing cowboys. Um, Roy Rogers and Gene Autry, they're not calling it country music. They're calling it singing cowboys. That's pretty cute, actually. I kind of yeah. like that. And was that before Hank Williams? Uh, Hank Williams was considered more honky-tonk. Okay. So country music is a little bit all over the place, too. Okay. Um, so it's all in its infancy right now. So Yes. My impression was everybody was just listening to all this stuff. Okay. Were there, like, deep divides and factions of people? Absolutely. Wow. So this is, like, the first rock and roll is coming out in like 1950 the early 50s like Jim Crow is still the thing going on in the south like the civil rights bill isn't happening until 1964 loving versus virginia which made interracial marriage legal that's still like not till 1967 so white people in the south don't want their teenagers hanging out with black teenagers that's like very much an important thing to know about the birth of rock and roll like that's an issue even though they had issue all the good music that was part of the problem all that danceable music right oh yeah all the gyrating hips nobody wants to have fun in the 40s Mm -mm. well not Mm. interracial fun jenny yeah you sit and then you clap when they're fucking done No fun. Yeah. No fun. (laughs) None fun. So the schools were segregated. The nightclubs were segregated. You had black nightclubs and white nightclubs. Here's something interesting. Black nightclubs would have a white people night where they wouldn't have any black customers. It was just the night where white customers could come. And listen to the black performers? Yes. Oh, my God. I hope they charged three times as much for drinks. I hope they really made it worth it. Oh, I'm sure they did. The radio stations were segregated. What? There were black radio stations that would not play white music and white radio stations that would not play black music. We like very briefly, and I think it was even edited out, talked about critical race theory last week. And I think that Elvis is like such a great example of what critical race theory is and why it's important. Like without it, Elvis invented rock and roll. But then you sprinkle a little critical race theory on there and like black people invented rock and roll. White people invented marketing. Ah. That sounds about right. And Elvis was just like the perfect package in which to sell rock and roll to other white people. One impression of mine of Elvis was that people thought that he was immoral for like getting up there on stage and dancing Mm -hmm. and all these girls would be dancing too at his music. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that kind of morality that surrounds dancing and like the particular style of dancing kind of ties back to this racism there were a lot of concerns about the children being corrupted by this type of music it starts with rock and roll then the teens are dancing and next thing you know you got interracial marriage legalized in america (laughs) yeah so yeah see slippery slopes all over the place yeah they were right they were right valid (laughs) yeah Next thing you know, people are going to be marrying pies. <laughs> what? Uh, a few. <laughs> a Is this few... a reference to that movie American Pie? I think there's some politician who was like, if I want to marry a pie, can I marry a pie? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it would actually probably be better for the future if you did just marry a pie. I feel like dude. it was Lindsey Graham definitely said that. Oh, my God, that guy. He's been around since the 1940s. Now, I have a pie. 
<laughs> it's blueberry. I'd like to marry it. Can I marry that pie? <laughs> I'm glad we have another opportunity for you to work on your southern accent. <laughs> you know what? If you want to marry a pie, who am I to fucking tell you not to marry a pie? I don't care. Is whipped cream an affair? <laughs> Let's discuss the morality of marrying pie. Uh, um, okay, so in the 1930s and 40s, a couple other things happened that kind of um, helped pave the way for rock and roll to come along. Most importantly, 1941, the first Les Paul electric guitar, which is like an invention that really changed the world. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Prior to the 1930s, it was more difficult to record a voice, and you really had to like yell mm. to be heard. And once electronic recording started, then then you get people like Frank Sinatra, who can just like sing softly as though they're singing right into your ear. Frank Sinatra killed big band. World War II killed big band. You can't have a big band if like two thirds of the guys playing in the band get sent to the front lines. So there was like a, a little bit of a void, a little bit of a space for rock and roll to fill for white people. And black people were, you know, already working towards it. Um, rock and roll is a euphemism for sex that black people were using in the early 1900s. Oh. So even the name is like, <gasps> yeah. So we're going to talk about Chuck Berry and people do credit him with inventing rock and roll, but there were a lot of other people with their hands in the pot here. Ike Turner, that fucking asshole. Tina Turner's Ike Turner? Yeah, Tina Turner's Ike Turner. He's back in the 40s too? Yeah. He's that old? Okay, when he was 18 years old. He made a song called Rocket 88. And um, he didn't get credit for it. Jackie Brenston and the Delta Cats got credit for it. But Ike Turner was in the band. He wrote the song. Here's what happened. They went to record this album. And the amp broke? Like, I don't know. Somebody dropped the amp, getting it out of the car, or whatever the fuck happened. And they went to record, and there was all this distortion. So that is what makes this like the first oh. rock album. Wow. Was just because the guitar had the distortion. Huh. Yeah. It was like a happy accident. It was like right. so the first like metal was like Ike Turner. And Fats Domino, he recorded a song called The Fat Man in nineteen forty nine that a lot of people consider the first rock and roll song. Wow. Bo Diddley gets a lot of credit. Bill Haley is like the only white guy on the list. He had the first hit rock and roll album. Little Richard was the first guy to do like a rock and roll performance with lights and costumes and like really he was really like the first rock and roll showman. Wow. Um, Sister Rosetta Tharp was using a distorted guitar singing gospel lyrics. Hmm. And then you have Chuck Berry. Born into a musical family, musical performer his whole life, even as a kid. In the early 50s, he was in a blues band, and he was playing in black nightclubs in St. Louis, and he was playing R&B, but he started covering country songs in his R&B style, Mm. and he was doing something with his guitar that nobody else was really doing, and he was also a showman. He was also fun to watch, and at first, the people in the clubs were not having it. They were, like, making fun of this, like, black hillbilly who's playing these country songs, but they were so danceable that he ended up winning people over. He came to Chicago in the early 50s, and he met Muddy Waters, who's like the ultimate blues blues guy. Yeah, he was the blues guy. Yeah. And he heard Chuck Berry and said, you need to go talk to Leonard Chess at Chess Records. 
you need to cut an album. Chess Records was on the south side of Chicago. It was run by two Jewish immigrant brothers from Poland, Leonard and Phil Chess. And they wanted it to be America's greatest blues label, which it pretty much was. They're the ones who recorded Rocket 88 with Ike Turner, Helen Wolf, Bo Diddley, Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters, Buddy Guy, Willie Dixon. It's like a whole list of superstars of the time. So other recording company we're going to talk about is Sun Records. That's Sam Phillips there in Memphis, Tennessee. And they're the ones who recorded Elvis. Roy Orbison, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, Johnny Cash, B.B. King. Their goal was to bring R&B to a white audience. That was like his specific goal. Because white people spend money on music. They're like, these are the people with the money. The yeah. audience. Yeah. yeah. So... Chuck Berry records an album at Chess Records. Maybelline is like his first hit. Man, that song is still good. Yesterday I was at work and I put on my headphones to listen to some Chuck Berry. And the guy who roasts the coffee was there and he was listening to Frank Sinatra. And I thought it was really fun. I felt like a subversive 50s teenager <laughs> listening to Chuck Berry. That's funny. While my dad was, was roasting to, coffee. Yeah. I was just getting Sinatra. The juxtaposition of those two. Yeah. That's, funny. That's really yeah. funny. Rock and roll music, school days, sweet little 16, Johnny Be Good, no particular place to go, roll over Beethoven. These are all early Chuck Berry yeah. hits. Something Chuck Berry was doing that no one else was doing was writing lyrics directed at teenagers like prior to this there wasn't kids music and adult music there was just music he like pretty much invented teenagers is what he gets credit for (laughs) he was like writing songs about school and sock hops and do you think that's a little weird with him being a man like if there's a 25 year old nowadays writing songs about like um other things that he was doing with 14 year olds at the time was more concerning to me than the lyrics okay so it was part of like a whole vibe yeah I I feel like it was part of a whole vibe for all of these guys. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. Let's just like address this really quickly. If you're a grown man and you're trying to fuck a 14-year-old, you're a rapist. I'm not making any excuses or distinctions. Looking Mm -hmm. at you, Drake. (laughs) Jerry Lee Lewis married his 13-year-old cousin. What? And pretty much lost his career over it. Ugh. Um, oh, that's bad. Chuck Berry went to prison for violating the Mann Act with a 14-year-old taking her over state lines for the purpose of sex. Oh, my God. Elvis Presley met Priscilla when she was 14. How old was he? 25? That's and, like twice um, almost an age. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever okay for a 14-year-old to get married. Yeah, I mean, you can make excuses about it was a different time or... Whatever, but I don't I mean, think it's cool. No. The only time that makes sense is if you're like back in like hunter gatherer and <laughs> you know like the life expectancy was thirty. Yeah, you're like halfway. You're middle aged at fourteen. I mean, I maybe think, that makes sense. I mean, I think like in some cultural senses, like that's okay. But in American culture, it's not typically okay. It's not like a part of what happens in American cultures. I think right. we can all agree that pedophilia is not cool. No. Great. Not I'm at all. We're on the right. same page. Yeah. It is interesting that there were no repercussions for Elvis at all. Yeah. But when you're, you're the king of the world. Right. You know, they're you like, oh, man, I wish my world. daughter would get married by Elvis. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's definitely parents out there who are like that. All right. So it's the early 50s. Rock and roll is starting to happen. Sam Phillips from Sun Records says... If only I could find a white guy with the black sound and the black feel, I could make a 
billion dollars. He said a billion. Hmm. That's a quote. That kind of money didn't even exist then. So um, that's the scene that Elvis walked into at exactly the right time. Just Where did Elvis like... come from? Graceland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Elvis was born in 1935 in Tupelo, Mississippi. His birth story is really sad. His, his mom and dad were Vernon and Gladys. He was their only child, and he was extremely close to them. And like extremely close to his mom in a way that was a little weird. Mm. But when you hear his birth story, it's like, oh, well, maybe maybe I get where she was coming from, even though it's weird. They were poor. When Vernon found out that Gladys was pregnant, he built himself a two-room shotgun house on rented land. She was pregnant with twins. Elvis had an identical twin. They named Jesse. He was stillborn. Aww. So like... Giving birth is a traumatic experience, even if it goes perfectly. Imagine giving birth to a stillborn baby, and then you have to, like, wait 35 minutes and do it again? Mm-hmm. So Elvis was born 35 minutes later, and then that was it. He was the only kid. His dad went to jail when he was a little kid for a little while for altering a check. He was sort of, like... um only occasionally employed. He did odd jobs. He did some odd jobs for the guy they rented the land from. And I guess he altered one of the checks that that guy had paid him. So not only did they go to jail, but they obviously got kicked out of the house as well. Yeah, you don't want to do that, man. <clears throat> no, that was really shitting where you eat. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So Gladys and Elvis went to go live with relatives while Vernon was in jail. And when they got out, they moved around Mississippi a little. They were always poor, and they were often living in black neighborhoods, but going to white schools because there was still segregation. In 1948, they moved to Memphis. So um, white people couldn't even go to a black school if they wanted to, right? Segregation was the thing. It would have been an integrated school, and there was no integration as far as I could tell. So I don't think that that happened. It's okay. Elvis didn't really have any friends, so it's okay that he didn't get to go to the neighborhood school. Okay. <laughs> he was like a kind of a weird kid. If you knew him in school, you would say he was a mama's boy. That was like his defining characteristic. Hmm. So That's strange. They like talked baby talk to each other and had little pet names for each other, even as Elvis was an adult. They had like a weird relationship. This is all a little weird. Yeah. There's some sort of strange thing going on here. Yeah. I'm not saying anything nefarious, but it is a little odd. It's been suggested that maybe something nefarious was going on. Okay. But I didn't look into that. That's bad. Um, But he was also very close to his dad. Like, they were a very close family. In 1948, they moved to Memphis. They were staying in rooming houses until they could get some public housing. They were always very poor. And so he was always exposed to black culture because of where they lived. He was a really average student. He got bad grades even in music classes. He never learned to read music. He just played by ear. Hmm. And he didn't really write any of his own songs either. Oh, so he was more of a performer rather than a musician? Yeah. Okay. I mean, he played a little guitar. He yeah. sang. I don't know where the line is. but um, I mean, I think of a musician as somebody who is the artist, the creator. The and singer-songwriter. Then, like the person who like has the vision and has the that clarity that can even put together sounds in a way. And then there's a performers who have talent as far as singing or maybe playing music, but they don't necessarily have the vision the creative. that it takes, yeah, to really be able to hear something in your brain and make it come out. 
and sound amazing. I feel like you just perfectly described the difference between Elvis and Chuck Berry. Okay. Yeah. He really fantasized about being an actor. He worked in a movie theater as an usher, and he saw James Dean and Marlon Brando. That was the goal. Mm. That's what he wanted to do. He thought maybe singing was a way to get there. Mm. Which he was in a couple of movies. A couple. Yeah. A couple. No. Were they like, eh, They were like movies? military movies. Military? My dad, like army movies, yeah. Like that they sent to the troops overseas, or he played a soldier? I think he played a soldier in at least one movie I remember seeing as a kid. My dad was kind of a fan of Elvis. The way you said that, I was imagining him like doing porn in his later days to try to support a drug habit or something. No. He could afford the drugs. He didn't have to do anything crazy. You just described my fantasy like to a T. (laughs) (laughs) Doing porn so you could buy drugs. Yes, I can afford. That's my end of life game. Goal. Well, thanks for clearing me in now. I'll be prepared. Oh, surprise. Not to do porn. You're the co-star. I don't know. <laughs> in this fantasy. My sex tape's going to drop when I'm 75. <laughs> There's got to be a market for like old ladies on only OnlyFans. There can't be that many of them. Right? I... I'm willing to do the research. Yeah, great. Let us know. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take one for the team. Um, 1953, Elvis graduates from high school. He goes into Sun Records, and he wants to make a birthday record for his mom. So you could do this in the 50s. This is cute. You could could go to, like, the local Five and Dime, and you could record your own record because, like, recording was such a new, exciting thing, right? That is so fun. I just had a picture of, like, a moldorama at the zoo, (laughs) only, like, a moldorama where it, like, records your little tiny record at the, you know, Five and Below. I love it. And it would be hot, and you'd have to, like, hold it on the edges really carefully. (laughs) Yes. So a photo booth meets moldorama. Awesome. Well, I think that was basically the idea at the Five and Dime. It's so fun. (laughs) But if you went to an actual recording studio, you got obviously a much higher quality product. Also, if you went to a recording studio, there was a chance that someone would discover you and make you famous. So that's the ulterior motive that Elvis had for recording these two songs onto an album for his mom. There was a receptionist working there uh, named Marion Keisker, who was also just like a well-known Memphis radio personality. She wrote his name down, and she told Sam Phillips about him. And she said maybe he'd be like a good crooner to audition sometime. And the songs that Elvis recorded for his mom were like more... uh, They were not rock and roll. They were like croony? Yeah, they were croony. (laughs) They were croony. So, um... He does this once or twice, goes into Sun Records and pays for some time. I think it was after the second time that Sam Phillips said, all right, you know, Marion is bugging me again to audition this guy. I'll go ahead and audition him. He calls Elvis in. I think Elvis brought his own band, a couple of buddies to play with him. And they had like four hours or something. Sam Phillips was like, go ahead, play me everything you know. And Elvis is playing some gospel and he's playing some country and he's playing some like Elvis type croony songs. (laughs) And Sam Phillips is totally unimpressed and ends up just like walking out like, all right, well, whatever. Thank you for coming in. And um, they've got like another half hour left in the studio or whatever. And and Elvis just starts fucking around and plays the kind of music that he actually really likes. He played That's All Right, Mama, which was originally an Arthur Crudup song. 
You guys remember that one? That's the first song Elvis recorded. That's mm. all right, Mama. And I don't remember it. No. I'm not gonna sing. I wasn't but there for it. If you heard it, you would recognize okay. it. He's like, uh, he's kind of dancing around, and he's doing his voice, and he's just like, he's just fucking around. He's just having fun. And Sam Phillips comes running back into the room. What's this shit? Yeah. What the fuck? What are you doing? Back it up. Do it again. <laughs> they record it. It's like two days later. It's on the radio. Holy wow. shit. In Memphis. Man, yeah. things used to go so much faster back then. Oh, it my feels God. Like. Yeah. Put so, it out. <laughs> so That just um, goes to show. Stay true to yourself. That's right. Just be yourself and... Just play all the music that you've been listening to and don't give any credit to anyone. Who yeah. <laughs> who got Arthur Crudup's permission to even record that song? I, who's Nobody. Ever, who's ever even heard of that guy? Hmm. Yeah. So it gets played on the radio. Some some DJ plays it on the air, and people start calling in and freaking out so much that he's got two hours left in his shift, and he literally just plays That's <laughs> All Right, Mama over and over for, for two, two hours. hours. Are you kidding? Because everyone's freaking out. Because it sounds like black music, but it's a white guy, and so this is the first time that this type of song has been played on this particular radio station that will only play white music. Yeah. And up until now, it's been Frank Sinatra and Lawrence Welk. And everybody's like, okay, we're done. We're falling asleep here, man. People heard this and were like, what? The DJ calls Elvis, gets him on the phone on the air, and demands to know what high school he went to because they can't believe he's white. <laughs> wow. And they need to make sure. We need to validate. Because so if you're can black, stay true. we cannot we play this song. Okay, like this yeah. is like kind of aggravating me though, because it's like clearly they like the music that the black people of the time are playing. Like right. just fucking play their music on the radio. <laughs> there were stations that were integrated. I, they had a name for them. I just don't understand why a white guy had to come along and sing this music for anybody to allow themselves to enjoy it. Right. Unless yeah. everybody I'm was... I'm sure there were some rebellious teenagers that were, like, listening to the black radio. Yeah, so I, I mean, that's say, what Elvis was doing. Right. Yeah. Secretly listening and not letting their parents right. know or whatever. Yeah. Right. He's like the OG boy band. Yes. But he's one person. Yes. I don't know if Elvis is, uh, like, not very smart or if he's easily manipulated, if it's just his age that makes him easily manipulated. I'm sure it's being a poor kid... Not being exposed to like like the cutthroat world of rich people because and then also having like a shady dad too who's kind of like oh that sounds great let's get rich quick well you know? part of it too is probably being a mama's boy and being like probably sheltered and somewhat protected like if you are just surrounded by your parents who really love you mm -hmm. and all you ever really experience is kind of like. You, you don't get this is it. You're naive. You're yeah. going to be yeah, naive. naive. Definitely naive. And I've always said you don't get rich <clears throat> by being nice. They probably exploited him. I think yeah. so. It wasn't his dad so much as it was his management, mm -hmm. I think, that really encouraged him to take the money. Like, don't worry about your future and how your decisions now are going to impact your the long arc of your career. Just take the money now. Yeah. Which isn't always bad advice, I guess. But right. So Elvis had really bad stage fright. And it was so bad, actually, that he had bombed auditions and band tryouts and things in the past because he, like, could not perform. He well, was he's just like, like you. I yeah, know. Totally. I know. I was just thinking the same. Figure, <laughs> learn from Elvis. Whatever he did, prepare yourself for a live show. Well. At the VFW Hall. <laughs> 
for our friends and family, all three of them. I guess I'll be doing something with my hips. Um. <laughs> Do you mind if I stand and gyrate during this live podcast recording? His first performance after recording at Sun Records, he still had the child-sized guitar that he was given for his 10th birthday. Like, he hadn't even gotten a real guitar yet. That's so funny. This is precious. He was dancing. So he, you know, he did that, like, shaky thing with his legs. Like, not the hip thing, but, like, the leg thing where he was, like, shaking his legs around. Where you, like, put your toe out and you do a little... Yeah, or you kind of, like, wiggle your knee. It's kind of like the hokey pokey. He was so nervous that he was, like, literally shaking. And so the leg thing was a way to, like, move. Without looking like yeah, he was shaking. yeah. And without just like curling into a fetal position from fear. So that's kind of part of where his dancing style came from. If he saw that people reacted well to something, he kept doing it. So he was dancing like that because it was helping calm him down. But people thought it was cool. So then he just kept doing it. There were country DJs who wouldn't play his music because it sounded too black. And there were R&B DJs who wouldn't play his music because he sounded too hillbilly. So even though he was sort of instantly popular, he wasn't always well-liked by everyone. Yeah, a, like, even from the everywhere. beginning. Yeah. You just got to find your people, man. And he's controversial, so... Yes. I mean. uh, RCA Victor acquired his contract from Sun Records, and that's when he really gets big. This is 1955. He's met Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah. Have another colonel on today's episode. Uh, RCA Victor bought his contract for forty thousand dollars. His dad had to sign the contract because he was still a minor. Forty the, grand at that time. That's a lot of money. That's four hundred thousand dollars. Hmm. Wow. Nineteen fifty-six. He did his first recordings with RCA Victor, Heartbreak Hotel, and Blue Suede Shoes. There it is. I assume you recognize those, Jenny. So colonel, he's like already getting to be a big guy by this time. Yes. Like yeah. superstar. Yes. Yeah. Um, colonel Parker becomes his manager. He's. I didn't look into this relationship a lot because I know there's so much there. Like I know that Colonel Parker had a big reputation, and he was the one pulling the strings and. Um, Probably just pushing him. God, I think he was getting like 50% of whatever Elvis was making. What? And That um, seems obscene. That's that like Britney Spears thing where the, the dad yeah. was like, just uh-huh. work. Just yeah. go. Just go. Just do it. Just do it. You know? Mm, just tour all the time. a good comparison. 50, right. 000, 50%. That's too much. Yep. That guy was definitely taking advantage of him. Naivete. He well, got him two weeks in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, not well received at no? all. All the old people in Vegas wanted Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack, and mm-hmm. they were not impressed with this kid. I mean, that's true, especially yeah. if you think of Vegas being owned by like Frank Sinatra, basically, mm-hmm. and his buddies. Like, that type of person. Frank Sinatra was pissed about this whole rock and roll thing right. ruining his good time. Right. Yeah. But then he leaves Vegas, and he goes on tour, and this is when shit gets crazy. You've got two completely different reactions. You've got the girls freaking out. Just loved him. And young Elvis, so good looking. Really. And the fact that it didn't make the grown-ups happy, I think didn't hurt, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a cool factor, right? Yeah, for like, sure. Oh, the, old, uh, the old-timers don't like it, so we're too oh, yeah. cool. Look at this hottie. <laughs> Dang, yeah. <laughs> He's a good-looking guy. So there were, like, Catholic priests sending angry letters to J. Edgar Hoover, 
saying what? that Elvis should just be arrested for what he was doing. For was, just shaking his leg? Well, Andy was shaking his hips. He was rousing the sexual passions of teenage girls. It was not okay. <laughs> that lock it, that it guy not up. not okay. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Also, wow. How like, precious people used to be. The young men also were, like, not happy with him. Jealous? Yeah. There like, were save some for where... the rest of us, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, boys, when you've got like a bunch of horny girls walking out of a concert, like Elvis cannot take care of all of them. You should just be grateful <laughs> that he's helping you out and like accept right. what's left. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like when the lights go on the bar at the end of the night, it's like when the best is gone, the best is what's left. <laughs> <laughs> but that they... They had to, like, call in the National Guard sometimes for his shows to make sure there was enough security. Guys would rush the stage. They would try to beat him off. They would what? try to stop him when he drove into town. This is he was being, like, crazy. burned in effigy when he came to town. Like, a lot of people really fucking hated him. How was he, though, as, like... Um like when he was being interviewed, was he being like raunchy or oh, anything no. like that? Or was he nice? All of the reports indicate that Elvis was like a really nice, polite young man who was like very respectful and very... Yes, you know, sir. When, no, sir. Yeah. When, people, when Frank Sinatra was like, fuck rock and roll, Elvis was like, well, you know, Frank Sinatra, I really respect him and his work. You know what I mean? Like he was totally oh. like... A kind, generous, respectful guy by all accounts. This is so sad. Like, he had to deal with all this bullshit, and it sounds like he was just kind of a gentle dude, like a gentle, naive guy. And now he's been thrust into this stardom. Which he wanted. He wanted this stardom. But did he want it the way he got it? You know what I mean? There's a difference between doing what you love and, like, trying to share that with the world and then having, like, the fucking Pope hate you. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Like, if the Pope is condemning you or whomever it was, like, that's just... I mean, you gotta be like, man, this kind of fucking sucks, man. Like, just let me enjoy my success. Yeah. Like, why do you gotta make it hard for me? It's hard to deal with, I think, trying to sing happy birthday to my mom. Yeah. Let's see him on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that rags to riches. I mean, that happens though. That's so much pressure. Think about like Justin Bieber. That kid's like all kinds of fucked up. Stop like taking young people and doing that to them. Mm. He filmed his first movie when he was still really young, 1956. This is the same year. RCA, Colonel Parker, Vegas, Milton Berle show appearances. Then he appears in the movie Love Me Tender, which he was just like a supporting cast almost. He had a smaller part. The movie wasn't supposed to have that title, but like suddenly he was so huge and they were using that song for the soundtrack and they decided to just change the name of the movie. Smart marketing. He had told Colonel Parker right from the beginning that he really wanted to act and that's really what he wanted to do. I find it funny that colonels insist upon going by the name Colonel plus their last name. He, um, I didn't write down a lot about Colonel Tom Parker, but he like, uh, Elvis didn't tour internationally because Colonel Tom Parker was lying about being an immigrant and couldn't leave the country. I don't think he was here legally. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 1957, he's 22 years old. Elvis buys Graceland. He buys it so that he and his parents have a place to live. It's like Aww. for his parents. Yeah. This is so sweet. It's 18 rooms. He pays $102,000 for it. We went to Graceland. 
But then we got there and the admission price was like, I don't know, 75 bucks a person. Oh, yeah. And we were like 23. <laughs> and not, not huge m- fans of Elvis. And not huge fans of all this. Mm-hmm. I'd probably go back and pay it now, though. Check it out. 18 rooms. Don't you go through a tour of the airplane when you go to Graceland? Oh. Am I even making this up? Is there even is there an airplane at Graceland? I have no idea. I think idea. you're thinking of the Don Q in, in Madison. <laughs> if anybody knows about Graceland, please tell me if there's an airplane. Do you want, we can pause while you Google it. No, I want a listener <laughs> to tell me. I want to be surprised. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't need Google for everything. Is there an airplane in Graceland or... Is it the airplane at Don Q Inn Hotel um, by <laughs> Look, the House in the Rock? In this is what I know. I know that we have some listeners who are from Memphis, for sure, because they're related to us. Oh. So you'll have to let us know. Can you drive over to Graceland and just <laughs> just see if you see an airplane in the lawn? So in 1957, um, he buys Graceland. Jailhouse Rock comes out. His first Christmas album comes out. Elvis did really well on the Christmas <laughs> albums. Big money there. And he was also like a a little bit of a religious guy, apparently. Like he was into gospel and yeah. he was um, into Jesus and everything. He did a couple more movies. 1958, he gets drafted. Oh, man. Right after he's drafted, his mom gets really sick and dies quickly. Mm. Wait, with all of his financial resources, he couldn't get out of the draft. Okay, so he could have gone to special services and just like performed for the other enlisted guys. But Colonel Tom Parker was like, bad idea for your reputation. It would be really cool if you were like an actual soldier. So it was a PR stunt. Kind of. Yes, that he was like stuck living for two fucking years <laughs> in Germany. So he did, um, he was granted leave when his mom got sick. I really don't think that he was treated just like an average yeah. soldier. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? They weren't was, putting him on the front lines or anything. Right. Um, he did get to go home and see his mom. He was with her when she died. But Oof. like because of the nature of their relationship, he was never really the same. He was after probably that. destroyed by that. So he served in Germany. Apparently, it was a lot of fun to be in the army with Elvis. Like, he bought a bunch of TVs for the base. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, he bought an extra pair of fatigues for everybody in the outfit so that they would, I don't not have to do as much laundry. I don't know. Oh, he donated his pay, too, to charity. Everybody really liked him. It was while he was in Germany that he met Priscilla, who was 14 years old at the time. I think she was an army brat. And Mm. they were dating for over seven years. They didn't get married until she was 21. Mm. Oh, thank God. I thought you meant he met her (laughs) at seven. Oh, God. God. Oh, God. Marcus just had a heart attack over there. (laughs) Whoa. I could see it out of the corner of my eye. I was like, whoa. Even Elvis could not get away with dating a seven-year-old. That's that's bad. (laughs) Wow, that's bad. See, it could be worse. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in my mind, he had married her at 14 and was like, you know. So maybe it's not as gross. It is not as gross as Jerry Lee Lewis marrying his 13-year-old cousin. Yes. In his third marriage, that, whoa! before his divorce was final. Oh. Even though he'd already gotten in trouble for getting married a second time before his first divorce was final. Oh, my God. He seemed really confused about the way divorce worked. That kind of <laughs> hot mess. So better than that. So better than Jerry Lee Lewis, mm-hmm. marginally. Marginally. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, my impression, that, like I said, my impression from before was much darker. Mm. Not that this is perfectly okay, 
No. But it is not as bad as marrying somebody who's 14. It's really weird. It's really weird that they dated for seven years. Like, was she traveling around with it? Like, I didn't look into their relationship a lot either. And let me say this. Even though they divorced before his death, Priscilla has only the nicest things to say about him. So, I don't know. Whatever. It also behooves her from a career standpoint to have nice things to say about him. Mm. So... I mean, I even know. though, like, nowadays, I feel mm-hmm. like if she had a tell-all, I feel like it would be pretty well accepted nowadays. I'm sure that woman has a biography. Somebody get Barbara Walters on the line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elvis comes back from Germany in 1960. He's like, you know, now he's served his country, and, you know, he looks so cute in a uniform and everything. And these are, like, the movie years, 1960 to 68, He's not putting out music aside from movie soundtracks. Hmm. And he he had hoped to be a serious actor. And what he is is like this super cheesy, like, hula girl rock and roll actor. Yeah, typecast. Like three or four movies a year, just like boom, boom, boom. Just like as much money as you can make, as many movies as you can make, as many soundtracks as you can make. Just like rake it in. Yeah. Is his heyday like kind of starting to fade by this point after he comes back from the service? Did that kind of interrupt? It definitely is, but there is a comeback on the horizon. Okay. He actually gets his first Grammy in 1967 for a gospel album. In um wait, like like high energy, like clapping type gospel? Or like just singing to Jesus like deep from within your soul? We'll have to listen to it. I have not listened to any of his gospel albums. Okay. Hmm. I li- I've listened to a couple Christmas songs, and I've listened to, like, the stupid hula girl song, and I obviously have heard the hits, but yeah. that's as much preparation as I did. <laughs> I didn't listen to any gospel. In 1968, he does a comeback special. He doesn't want it to be called a comeback special. He doesn't feel as though he's ever left. He's been, like, in the spotlight making movies this whole time. Yeah. But this is, like, his rock and roll comeback. And he does great. Like, the special is watched by, you know, this is back in the day when there's only seven stations. Oh, yeah, I was channels. hoping you would talk about this. Yeah. yeah. Um, everybody watched it. I mean, something like 50% of people who own TVs were watching this special live when it aired. Wow. Um, it was really big. Yeah, remember when you used to have to, like, watch things and, like, sit down and watch them when they played on yeah. the TV? Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you missed it? Right. <laughs> That leads to like a four-week residency in Vegas, which is huge. Vegas is finally ready for Elvis now. And he ends up signing a five-year contract with the International Hotel in Vegas. He comes back once a year and performs for like two weeks, and they're going to pay him a million dollars. Nice. Yeah. Damn. That's cool. In 1970, he goes to meet Richard Nixon. So Elvis is like super weird about drugs. While he was in Vegas, the actress who plays Elvira met him. And mentioned to him that she smokes a little weed sometimes. And he was, like, horrified. Like, yelled at her. Like, you shouldn't do that. It's so bad for you. He's, like, super anti-drug. Was he for whatever in- reason. Did he drink at all? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. He's really anti-drug. And he, like, wants to be a DEA agent, whatever the DEA was back then. So, like, Nixon gives him a badge. <laughs> <laughs> So that he can feel like a DEA agent. Right. Nixon said the whole thing was like super awkward. Get this man a badge. Yeah. Just do, here's the badge. Take the picture. Get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> yeah. He gets like a f- lifetime achievement Grammy. 
He goes on tour. He does four sold-out shows at Madison Square Garden. He's, like, huge again. He's, like, huge. It's great. Everything's going great. 1972-73 is when shit takes, like, a downward turn again. He gets a divorce. That doesn't work out. How long were they married for? So they were only married for five years. They got married in 67, Mm. and they divorced in 73. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, there you go. They've been together for those seven years leading up to it. I mean, so. I, I think that when you start dating someone when they're 14. Yeah, you grow I, apart a little bit. Yeah. I, just don't know if that, I just don't know if that's like a, a really recipe for. Yeah. 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 Again, I'm not excusing anything. But because Elvis was kind of a naive young man and she was literally a little girl, I think they really um, grew up together in a sense. Mm-hmm. He starts to have some health issues in 1973, and that is where his drug addiction begins. Mm. He's got, like, a really heavy touring schedule, and he's on all kinds of prescription sedatives because he can't sleep. He's on amphetamines to help him wake up. He's on pain-killing narcotics because he has all these other health issues. He's got glaucoma. He's got hypertension. He's got some liver damage. Uh, He's got an enlarged colon. The drugs maybe caused some of this, or the drugs are being used to help some of this, or a combination of those two things. Bodies don't usually get like that at that young of an age, because we're talking he's like, what, like 37, 38? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a young man. Yeah. Relatively speaking, um, what else was going well, on? Well, 75, he's 40. He died at 42. Oh, so he's, he's like so in his late 30s at this point. Yeah, I mean, his body's destroyed yeah. for somebody so young. It seems like his staff really liked him and had a bond with him. A rela- they felt as though they had relationships with him, which I think speaks to the type of person he was. His bodyguards were like really concerned about the drug use and were starting to get vocal about it. And he had them fire. He had someone else fire them. That to me was like the moment that like when you're getting rid of the people who really care and want to help you, then. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, he had had a couple girlfriends after Priscilla. He never got married again. He was like home from a tour and his doctor had prescribed him all these things and his his personal chef said that he hadn't eaten in a couple days. He was also a bit of a food addict. You would say now that he had like disordered eating. Mm. Um, he gained a ton of weight in those few short years. And I think a lot of that was just like the weird way he ate that was like trying to fill a hole the same way he was like using drugs to try to fill a hole, I yeah. think. You um, know, it sounds to me like he maybe had kind of a rough childhood, but I'm wondering if, yeah, that that kind of fame at such an early age and early adulthood really was like a trauma for him. You probably live and grow up, you know, with no being a common element in your life. And then all of a sudden nobody ever says no to you ever again. Uh You know, I mean, you think 18 is still a little baby. Yeah. And then you have all these people that you think you can trust and then they can't, you can't trust them. They're like, run, take this flight, do this thing, take this drugs, take this, you know, take this to help you sleep, take this to help you wake up, you Uh know, and you trust the people and then your body's like literally fucking dying. So he's 42, his girlfriend and staff are in the house with him. He wakes up at like two in the afternoon and um, goes to the bathroom and somebody goes in to check on him and finds him on the floor in the bathroom. The medical examiner said it was a heart attack and it was natural causes, but there were 14 different drugs in his system, 10 of them in pretty high doses. He was buried next to his mom in Forest Hill Cemetery. 
But within about two weeks, somebody tried to dig up the body. What? Like somebody tried to steal it. Holy fuck. So they end up exhuming him and his mom and burying them at Graceland. That's how they're buried at Graceland now. His dad outlived him by just a few years, and he's buried there now, too. Wow. Wait, I'm not surprised that there were some grave diggers because people are fucking crazy. Isn't that nuts? That's super nuts. I would never even think to dig up a famous person. (laughs) So gross, like two weeks after the fact. Yeah, I mean, right. yeah. what are you going to do with that? His decomposing right. body. Right. You search it for gold. What the fuck is wrong with rings. people? Know. Rings well, and necklaces. I don't know. I don't sunglasses. You probably had some dope-ass sunglasses. Is that what you're sending out for your birthday gifts? <laughs> Elvis sunglasses. Elvis sunglasses. Elvis yeah. sunglasses. Um, his main physician, George Nicopolis, was tried for over-prescribing him. In, like, the early 80s and found innocent. In the first eight months of 1977, he'd prescribed more than 10,000 doses, sedatives, amphetamines, and narcotics. Okay, all that's just bad news. Yeah. Do you want to hear about the sandwich? Yeah, let's talk about the sandwich. I'm so... As we segue. Hungry. Are you? I'm so hungry. I cannot (laughs) wait to eat these sandwiches. His personal chef for 14 years was Mary Jenkins Langston. There are, like, videos out there of her making his favorite sandwich. You should go watch them. Okay. She's so cute. She's, like, an older black woman. I saw a video of her. She's interviewed in her house. She's got, like, an Elvis poster on the wall behind her. She's wearing an Elvis t-shirt. Aww. She loved Elvis. Is she still alive? I feel like that video was from, like, 2016 or something. It wasn't that old. Wow. Yeah. So perhaps. I keep wanting to say this is all so precious. (laughs) Elvis and everyone around him. It's just the preciousest episode. So, yeah, she was his personal chef, and she said that Elvis would eat this sandwich all the time. Like, sometimes for breakfast, or sometimes she'd, like, have to come at 2 a.m. and make him this fucking sandwich. She said the first time she made him the sandwich was for breakfast. She walked into the dining room and said, good morning, what would you like? And he said, I want a fried peanut butter and banana sandwich. Hmm. And she said, I have... Never heard of such a thing. (laughs) Um, I guess his mom used to make it for him when he was a kid. So cute. So she went into the kitchen and she like fried up a peanut butter and banana sandwich and brought it out to him. And he was like, nope, this is not right. All right. And so his dad was there and his dad was like, come on, Mary, let's go. I'll go in the kitchen with you. Let's try to figure this out. (laughs) And this was after his mom had passed mm -hmm. away. Yeah. They try, like, toasting the bread first so it's, like, crispier. And then Elvis's dad is like, more butter, add more butter, add more butter. So Mary says the sandwich is, like, literally floating in butter. <laughs> and you just have to keep, like, flipping it and pressing it until all the butter gets absorbed up oh, into God. the sandwich. Oh, my God. <laughs> and she, sir- she, like, brings this out and puts it in front of Elvis. And he takes a bite and he's like... Yeah, that's it. Oh. <laughs> that's what I wanted. This is why he's gaining weight later oh my in God. life. That's the one. She blames the sandwich. I believe it. She said that when he was in the hospital, she like smuggled hot dogs into it. He like <laughs> called her and was like, Mary, I need you. <laughs> um, in 1974, Elvis picked out a house, took Mary to it, asked her if she liked it, bought it for her. Aww. Picked it out himself. But didn't buy it until she approved it. And yeah. it was like, yes. So sweet. Yeah. And that's what she says. Just a sweet person. Man, it sounds like he really had a downfall. 
And that's too bad, because it sounds like deep down inside, he had his heart in the right place. I do think he did. I do think he was like a nice guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She said he came to her once as a ghost in her house. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So she saw him again. She saw him again as a ghost. Did Did he ask for food? (laughs) He asked if he could stay there. He asked if he could stay there with her. And she said, Elvis, you can stay here as long as you want. And then he went off into the ghost land. That's all he needed to know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that he had a home somewhere. Hmm. Aside it, from Graceland. Did you say Ghostland on uh, purpose? <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay. I just said it because that's where I assume the ghosts are. Oh, okay. Right? Where else would they be? <laughs> I, I, I assume Memphis. <laughs> I mean, I guess some people... All the ghosts <laughs> just live in Memphis. Do you guys want to hear about the coffee? I yes. actually yeah. went to the trouble of finding out about the coffee. Okay. Week, yeah. Like last Very week. Very exciting. Right. kind of blew the whole thing right. off. Chris's coffee. Chris's coffee. Since um, 1973. Since 1973? 1975? I have 1975 in my notes. Okay. I wasn't squinting hard enough. Oh, okay. The bag's all the way like far away from me. <laughs> so the Chris in Chris's coffee is Chris Nachtrieb. Okay. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's the last name. Um, he was a young man, 25 years old, and he was working at a golf course, some kind of like golf pro. And some wealthy golfer guy approached him and was like, do you want to get in on the coffee business? <laughs> <laughs> and he said yes. And he partnered up with this guy briefly. A golf guy. A golf guy. Most of the information I have came directly from the company's website. Yeah. He did not mention the name of this golfer guy who got him roped into this. It was Arnold Palmer. And then things went badly and he decided to get into tea. (laughs) That's my prediction. I nowhere in my notes have that it was not (laughs) Arnold Palmer. It's totally possible. So we know how Chris of Chris's coffee got his start. Here's the here's the like vehicle of the day for you. He had a a, golf cart. You would think. No. He had a 1975 El Camino Super Sport. And he was selling coffee out of the back. He was selling coffee. Me? I was just joking. Like door to door. In his cool car. Out of the back of the El Camino. Wow. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So 1978, Chris ditches his partner, goes off on his own. Ten years later, he inherits a bunch of money from his parents and expands the business. And they have expanded again recently. So they're a coffee company out of Albany. It's Chris and his wife, Patty, and their two daughters and their son. It's like a total family business. seems like the daughters are mostly taking over. The son... In 1999, when he was 15 years old, made them their first website. Isn't that cute? That's so cute. Do they still have it? It actually looks pretty nice. I think it's been updated. It would be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Their new facility, listen to these statistics. I wrote down a lot of stuff just for you two. Yes, tell us what it's like to own a big business. 64,000 square foot facility. Hot damn. That's a big boy. Ten, ten loading docks, an entire fleet of delivery and service vehicles. You should, what the, f- off of breakfast with Elvis? Off of breakfast with Elvis. They have okay. fair trade organic coffees. Um, they do have single origin coffees. They have a variety of roasts. They have a wide variety of flavored coffees. Um, they have 40 employees. 
they serve 1,900 customers globally. Does that mean every day? Does that mean the people drinking their coffee, or does that mean the people buying like their customers espresso wholesale. machines? Like, they only have 1,900 people <laughs> drinking their coffee every day, and somehow they can afford a 6,400 square foot with 10 docks? Okay. okay. What are we doing wrong? Yeah, I don't know. This is shit. I'm sorry. Uh, <gasps> <gasps> I'll have to cut that. I'm sorry. I don't know. It's probably not bad. It's this right. is a it's, no bad review podcast. I'm sorry. It's going to be the best banana flavored coffee you've ever tasted. You're right. That's true. You're right. It's an N of one for sure. Yeah. If I know anything about peanut butter flavored coffees, this is going to be better than the last one. <laughs> yeah. All coffee roasted on site, flavored and ground in house. They can grind 1,500 pounds an hour. Oh, boy. Damn. Oh, it looks like I accidentally bought the whole bean version of this one, too. Oh, no. What the fuck, man? It's I am be so failing fresh. at the buying. I am failing at the buying. Do you want to hear about their roasters? Sure. How many? Yeah. They have four roasters. Neat. What size? They have a 30-kilo Joper, a 60-kilo Joper, okay. a 60-kilo U.S. Roaster Corp. Uh-huh. Oh. And a 120-kilo Joper is their newest. That's Neat. all they have, purchase. huh? That's it. What did I tell you, Marcus? Look at that. Joper, I think, is like pretty similar to an Ambex. I mm. think it's like the Turkish version of an Ambex. Is it pronounced Yoper? Yeah. Is a it? thirty kilo Yoper? A sixty I don't know kilo it, I don't know. How I've, only, I've only ever heard it pronounced Joper. I don't know. Okay, good. In my good. mind, you just said Turkey, and I assume that's how they pronounce things in Turkey. I think they pronounce J's in Turkey. I don't know anything about yeah. language. Belarus, no, our Belarusian listeners are going to have to drive over to Turkey. No, Slovakia is much closer to Turkey. Mm. Oh, yeah. Good point. And we're still big in Slovakia, by the way. For months running, we're big in Slovakia. Hey, Slovakia. Yeah, just run over to Turkey and let us know how they pronounce their J's. You know what? They probably already know. People in Europe already know all about each other. Can we please yeah. brew some fucking coffee? Yes. <laughs> you did it. Modest Coffee roasts the highest quality, single-origin coffees without the snobbery. They take the guesswork out of buying specialty coffee by carefully curating green coffees and sorting them to one of their tiers, based on cupping score, price, flavor notes, and roast level. Go to www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what they're roasting today. Pip pip cheerio! All right, ready? Olfactory reveal. Just cut this. It's going to be so intensely banana. I could smell it through the vent. So I have a story. When I was, oh boy. (laughs) Is that regular banana or is that that like fake banana, like Cavendish? It's like a banana runs. But I'll tell you exactly what this smells like. Can I tell you exactly what this smells like? So once upon a time, I had... (laughs) <laughs> oh. oh, that looks intense. You know what? This They do not... Steph uh, just like repulsed away No, she from didn't. Her. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. She, it's really... She had to, she had to turn her head away <laughs> because she... In air. love. It was a turn away in love. It was a love turn. It's a very intense odor. Yes. Aroma. <laughs> you know what? We can thank Chris's Coffee for... They don't skimp on their flavoring oils. When I was like seven, I had um, an infection, a skin infection. Oh. And that's what, that was what it was flavored and scented with, was the antibiotics. <laughs> oh, I thought you were skin. I thought you were saying that this smells oh, God, like a no. skin infection. Oh, no, that's weird. <laughs> and I, because I thought that was really weird. I had oh, yeah, a, it does uh, smell like 
peanut butter and banana. I had a hard time with uh, banana runts for a long time after that experience. So I I assume this is going to taste like banana-flavored amoxicillin. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, and then there's some, like, uh, something, some, some, some funk, some funky. That's the peanut butter. That's the peanut butter? (laughs) I don't know. Do you smell it's, any coffee? Do you get a hint of coffee? <laughs> no. I didn't get any hint Mm-mm. of coffee either. I get um I do get a uh, a hint of um a hint of rock and roll. For sure. <laughs> for sure. I'm a little I can see that there's an undertone of like of racial segregation going on in this coffee. <laughs> um I uh <laughs> Sorry. This is it's hard to we're, breathe. We're going to be enjoying this flavor for days to come. How are we going to grind this? this? whole bean. Yeah. Yeah. Could All we right. put it on the driveway and run it over with the car? <laughs> we have that hand grinder. Do you want to use a hand grinder? It's very, very oily. It the is beans. They look wet. I haven't really even taken a look at it. Smell. Yeah. They look They've sticky. had plenty of time to absorb that oil. Um, should we use the hand grinder? No, we should just commit and go. Let's do it. In the barazza? Yeah. Ooh, oh, it has God. like a $200 grinder for this banana flavored coffee. Yeah. It's awesome. It's so powerful that when you smell it, you gasp for air <laughs> because it's like there's there's more flavoring than oxygen, I think. And yes. your, your body like reacts with like a, <gasps> like it tries to catch some air regular error there is like a biological reaction to smelling that coffee yeah <laughs> yes right and it's survival yes right. the bio- yes. biological yeah reaction. you get like the the gasp reflex where you're like you just need more air when you smell that coffee yeah. it's like what your lungs do yeah you know right exactly. we've probably all just gotten cancer <laughs> from smelling this bag all right let's brew this I'm all right excited. Uh, all right so we got it brewing yeah wow it's... and it's wafting through the air you know what? I think if you like to mix your banana runs with your peanut butter cups, your Reese's peanut butter cups, <laughs> yeah. this coffee might be for you. Did we do a peanut butter flavored? We had the Girl Scouts, the peanut butter yes. chocolate cookie K-cups, but I feel like that wasn't a really good representation because like, the K-cup machine is like such a hot mess. That was We really didn't gross. really get like a good flavor profile from it. I also feel like the... The peanut butter flavoring in this one, like, way overpowers that one. This is crushing it in the peanut butter game. I can smell the banana as it's brewing, mm-hmm. but I am also happy that I'm getting a little whiff of coffee, too, mm-hmm. as Are opposed you? to out of the bag. Yeah, I can smell coffee also. I guess I smell a little bit now. I am really excited now about banana peanut butter sandwiches that are made with real bananas and made with real peanut butter. A lot more excited about those sandwiches than I was at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> Are you finally hungry? <laughs> well, now I'm like, now I know what I have to compare it to. So mm. it's like, in my world, I can only have two things. Peanut butter, banana, coffee, and peanut butter, banana sandwiches. And the peanut butter, banana sandwiches... Don't sound so bad now. Don't sound so bad anymore. <laughs> the peanut butter, banana sandwiches will be a great flavor to leave me with. Mm. We haven't had a whiskey day in a while. No, today might be the day. I feel like whiskey, banana, peanut butter. I don't have to work today or tomorrow. Mm. I can just 
sit around and, what are you doing, Marcus? You want to sit around and drink whiskey all afternoon? I do have to go to the warehouse. Uh, pick up. For an yeah, order pickup. get picked up. Mm. So Marcus better there, not drink too much. Right. I will do some work. Mm. Yeah. Good job. Lame. Being responsible. <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't go to the warehouse with him and drink there. I can I'll bring the whiskey. <laughs> I'll keep drinking in the car. Right. I'll drink at the warehouse. You can chauffeur me around. That's fine. It'll be great. Although I hated banana runs for so much of my childhood, I came around. <laughs> I like them now. They're really tasty. Even though it's peanut butter banana flavored, I could really use a cup of coffee desperately. It's not bad. It's still coffee. <laughs> um, There's still caffeine in there. Don't worry. It feels like its fumes are coming off of it. The smell is really something, the fake banana smell. It yeah. is, like, so intensely smelly. Ooh, and it is, it is a, if you are somebody who likes dark roasted coffee, this is You'll maybe. I love this. This is definitely the, the darkness, the level you might enjoy. Did the beans look dark, or was it hard to tell because they were so oily? I thought that they looked dark. They looked on the darker side. I'm not going to burn my tongue. Last week I burned my tongue. I was really mad about it all day. Mm, Don't do that. Don't do that for Elvis. Do you think Elvis drank banana peanut butter coffee? No, he did drink coffee. He did? He did drink coffee. Do we know his favorite? No. Taster's Choice? It was probably, um, which one is from the, isn't one of them from the South? Folgers from Oh, I think Folgers might be. Arkansas? Uh-oh. tasted it? It's something. (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah. what marcus not every coffee has to taste good as a as a as a as a black coffee it's you um know, some are better with a little a little pizzazz look this this pizzazz i feel like i could use it to polish my silverware like that's what i feel like this coffee tastes like it could clean like silver plate it's got a very chemical astringent oh. flavor to it. <laughs> the, look, this is what I know about Chris's coffee. They don't fuck around when it comes. <laughs> I thought Bones didn't fuck around, but apparently Bones fucks around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chris's coffee is going to be like, oh, Bones? No. You want to add that much flavor oil? Right. Well, we're going to see your flavor oil editing, and we're going to quadruple it. Right. Well, Because our customers really want... To like fully immerse themselves in our flavored coffee aromas. Like I feel like the smell of runts is like in my soul. That is how strong this smells. This coffee is it's a really weird thing. You guys have to try it. I, when do it we goes have to? into your palate, it's like I feel like it takes something away <laughs> from you. It's weird. Your palate will never be the same again. It's really weird. It's like um it's like tingly a little bit, but it like, like should, it's just sucking something out of like my do you, mouth. Do you think we should maybe, do you think I maybe brewed it? Like you know what? I, I feel like brew ratio is kind of a moving target though, right? Like you want to always be kind of thinking and adjusting to get the optimal You should try it first. Experience. Steph's doing a, a LaCroix chaser. Mm-mm. I didn't try the coffee yet. It's oh. too hot. I'm not burning my tongue on this coffee. I'm about to go straight for the whiskey here. Jenny doesn't even drink. <laughs> it's no way. No way. It can't be that bad. I am presuming that it just smells stronger than it tastes. I don't know how to describe it. Medicinal, too. It tastes very me- fucking medicinal. See, didn't I just tell you banana flavored amoxicillin? Yes. 
You did say that. I know. That's a hundred percent exactly what it smells like. Which I hazel? S- which hazel? Maybe. I'm seven years old again right now. Which hazel? It's like a like a witch hazel rinse. I see what you mean, Marcus. I just oh. took my first sip. It's a great face. We should really be video recording the tasting. <laughs> That's what we could put on YouTube. This is yeah. the best. This is the best visual tasting I've seen, Jenny. It's just. Well, I'm gonna keep going to try to find a not bad review. I'm gonna add some sugar. Sometimes we need to add cream and sugar in order to get to the not bad review. Sometimes we have to add whiskey and whipped cream. Sometimes we have to light it on fire and burn off whatever that flavor is before we can. What is that? Oh, are you saying that we got to do like a saganaki type thing? <laughs> oh, maybe that way. I mean, I love saganaki. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, see, now I'm like excited to try it. Yeah. It's still so hot. I hope, I really hope you love it. <laughs> You're going to kick me off the show if I love it. No, nothing would bring me more joy oh, than to man. see you try. You see you try it and be like. No, it's not bad. <laughs> Just no reaction. That would be the gra- that would be so gratifying. Look, I could give you spicy taco because it had like an interesting like little kick, like spicy kick. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Steph is not there with us. No, I mean is... Steph is there with us. She's not there with the coffee. Yeah, right, right in its current state. That's fine. It like that first sip was just like a real shock. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm drinking my with a little sugar in it right now. It's unlike anything I've ever had before in a cup of coffee. Oh my god! <laughs> so like that. Oh no! Even with cream and sugar, the did sugar I haven't added cream. Up. I really feel like I'm drinking something. This isn't a bad review. That's a hundred percent toxic. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much flavoring. It's gone from from like a hint to like definitely. Like, possibly I, will kill you. <laughs> do you think that they maybe just, like, this was like a manufacturing <laughs> defect? <laughs> like, they, like, dumped, like, a gallon in when they meant to dump a teaspoon? It was their first time making this coffee. And they were, yeah, they were like, an ounce? What's an ounce? It looks like an ounce. Like, somebody screwed <laughs> up on their calculator? It's so potent. You get the banana in, like, the first... The first like moment that it, it, maybe it's not even touching your tongue. Maybe it's just like um, hovering above it. Like you get that banana okay. right for like a split second at the beginning. And then it just immediately melts into like toxic chemical solvent. I'm very concerned about drinking very much of this. Yeah. I'm like legitimately toxic kind of Toxic chemical solvent is... Right. That's not what a I was bad saying. review. Not, not bad. a bad review. Mm. I know what it is. It's a flavor note. You know, right. I figured out what that chemical is. As a former nail tech, it's acetone. Oh, okay. So acetone. That's this. That is the. That is the flavor and the aroma that the odor. I should actually say that you're getting is acetone. Listen, acetone is one of my favorite chemicals. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love the way that it feels on the skin it when is, it dries like it off. It's very cool, cooling. like cooling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a very effective nail polish remover, especially if you use like a high concentration of acetone in your nail polish remover. I also know that acetone is a byproduct of alcohol production. Do you think that adding whiskey is going to create some sort of a like chemical reaction? Do you think you're about to poison yourself? Do you guys want to step back for a minute <laughs> while I add the whiskey? Yeah, no, let's do this. I, I do see think this. we should get poison control on the line. 
Um, are you getting any peanut butter? No. No. It smelled like it. I, I thought it smelled really peanutty in the grind and in the dry, but mm-hmm. not, in the, not in the cup. So I added um, a literal half mug of Oatly. <laughs> and then I added like a teaspoon of sugar. I feel like Oatly might help because it's a little more grainy, mm. you know? I think Oatly was a good addition. It does kind of bring out that nuttiness of the peanut butter. It's cooled off a bit and it's kind of smoothed out. I'm getting a lot more banana flavor too. I think if you add half a mug of like cream or Oatly, you get, you you dilute the acetone enough, the chemicals enough that um, I think you can kind of taste the coffee. I just like burped a little bit, and I had this like aftertaste of yeah. Of there's quite an aftertaste. Yeah. I'm gonna right. have to go for whipped cream here, guys. Oh, cool! I'm gonna add some too. Um, <sighs> gosh. Oh. Yeah, Oatly helps cut it mm. quite a bit. It definitely doesn't feel like you're going to need to like go to the emergency room. It's not room. as painful. Yeah. The coffee itself is a little bitter. I like it's hard to even get to the bitter because right. there's so much weird stuff before that, but Layered. like the flavor I'm left with is like a little bit bitter and still chemical. Um I think how I'm going to recommend this coffee is with sugar Half a mug of Oatly. So your mug needs to be half coffee, half Oatly. And then a bunch of whipped cream. So then what you want to do after that is you want to like go with a spoon and then just scoop the whipped cream off the top that is lightly coated. Just a teeny bit of light coating. That's the way you want to drink this coffee. (laughs) You just want to scoop the whipped cream that has been dipped in the coffee and then eat it. But then I got a cat here in my mouth. God. Mm. Gosh darn cats. Yeah. I added like two shots of whiskey and some whipped cream. Yeah. And maybe it's just because I'm on an empty stomach and the whiskey is hitting me before I have time to process the flavor. It's yeah. um drinkable, I guess. I, I feel don't, like the whiskey uh, helps cover. Yeah. Because like if you drink a shot of whiskey, it feels like fire and that's good. Right. And so now when the coffee feels like you're drinking something toxic, you can just blame the whiskey, which technically huh. is toxic. I feel you. <laughs> I feel like that uh, that like masks yeah. the toxicity of the flavoring, it's the whiskey. Ha- it's helping my it brain helps. to feel like it is safe to drink this. Right. This will not kill me. So I will tell you that drinking it the way that I think it's preferred... You kind of, it almost feels a little bit like a banana dessert, like oh. a banana cream mm-hmm. dessert. So I would say that this isn't a coffee for sipping. <laughs> this is a coffee to use as a base layer when you just really want a whipped cream snack that has a has a slight coffee flavor. I like it this way. It's actually really good. Like yeah. a little bit, like there's a teeny hint of coffee, like cream and sugar coffee in the I spoon. literally see you dipping the whipped cream in the coffee mm-hmm. and you're like, mm, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, All just a little cream. dip. It's, it's, yep. it's coffee flavored whipped cream. That's what we're going for here. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's good. I'm glad that you've gotten there. You found a, a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I too feel like with the, half of an Oatly, half a cup of Oatly and two um, shots of whiskey <laughs> that this is not bad. Did you like, add sugar, Marcus? I didn't add sugar. I was afraid to add mm. sugar. Okay. I was uh, I was afraid that it would make it like it would pull those flavorings out mm-hmm. and make it more powerful. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to go that route. I added the whipped cream, and the slight sweetness from the whipped cream is not bothering me. Okay. It's, um. This is yes. This is the way I'm gonna go with is whipped cream, double shot of whiskey, 
Just pray that it doesn't kill you. And that's okay. Even if it is 9 a.m. Right. On a weekday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So uh, who's... I feel like um, if you have someone in your family who's still, like, pretty racist and, like, into segregation <laughs> and stuff, maybe this is... Um, a nice gift for that. <laughs> you have been drafted to the front lines, mm. and this is all you got. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, give me banana coffee or give me death. <laughs> I'm going to choose banana coffee. <laughs> no bad reviews. No yeah. bad reviews. Yeah. So... Hmm, thank you for choosing No Bad Reviews. Are we, is there, do we have anything else to uh, say to our people about this coffee? I got nothing else, else on this coffee. Yeah, um, it is a, um, it takes you, some work to get think, it to be not bad. Do you mm-hmm, think what they're trying mm-hmm. to do is kill people like Elvis died? <laughs> Just like, it's going to taste like, a, <laughs> taste this, like a drug overdose. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that's not necessarily bad. Drugs right. are fun, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Well, I guess that's our episode. <laughs> you can find us. Drug overdoses are really bad, just for the record. I don't yeah. want to have to clarify myself right. later. Right. Okay. Yes. I we're promise. All the same. I promise. Yes. I'm not making right. fun of drug addiction. Me of all people. So, anyways, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I'm still kind of struggling to like recover from mm-hmm. this tasting mm-hmm. and find the words that I need to say to go out. Follow us on social media at No Bad Reviews Pod, or maybe this is just me going into. Do we need to head to an urgent shock. care? Yeah. <laughs> somebody, oh get, somebody, check my vital signs. <laughs> um, I don't know what's happening to my body right now, my brain. Send us an email, hello at nobadreviewspodcast.com. You can also send us a message on social media if you have a fun idea. Or if you have our phone number, go ahead and send us a text. We get we get those too. We Our um, spreadsheet of ideas is like getting so long. <laughs> it's so long. And there's like, how do we even choose? There's so many fun episodes on there. We found some crazy ones. Like just uh, when you think you can't, po- there can't possibly be more crazy yeah. products. Something else comes <laughs> up or somebody sends us something. It's yeah. crazy how many insane coffee things are out there. So we can't find them on our own. So please send them to us if you see them. There you and go. you can also send us coffee to Modest Coffee if you don't know us personally. Yeah. Can you please not show up on my porch with your coffee suggestions if I don't know you personally? Thank you so much. But if we know you, <laughs> that's fine. You can send it to our house. That's fine. But look up Modest Coffee on Google. That's That'll give you the address. And then what else? We also, like, said to give us reviews and ratings and whatever. Yeah, I mean, you can still do that, too. I think that's it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast, generously sponsored by Modest Coffee, purveyors of single-origin coffee without the snobbery. Visit www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what they're roasting today. 
Enjoy.